Hey, it's Otis here. Before we get to the bedtime reading, I wanted to let you know that I just launched a brand new show. It's called The Daily Book Club, a daytime companion to Sleepy, where you hear entire books one chapter at a time, one day at a time. Simple as that. So if Sleepy is how you uh, wind down your day, The Daily Book Club is a great way to start your day. There's new episodes daily. Uh, I read in a slightly peppier voice so that you can get really lost in these amazing stories that have stood the test of time. Or, just like Sleepy, you can sit back and relax and zone out to a good book. The first book we'll be reading is The Enchanted April by Elizabeth Von Arnhem. Story is, in the 1920s, four women unfulfilled with life take a chance and abscond to a dreamy medieval Italian castle. It's a story dripping with wisteria, the beauty of solitude, and an unlikely pursuit of joy in Portofino, Italy. I think that this is a perfect story for the season, and you can hear it now. Find The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. This show has been a long time coming, and I'm so excited to bring you even more stories. So go subscribe to The Daily Book Club to hear what happens next. Thanks. This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well, and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high-quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, they have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included. And there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. A podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. And if you listening uh, would like to be a supporter of the show and have your name read in the opening credits, uh, just go to Patreon.com slash Sleepy Radio and donate even a dollar a month. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover up for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. So this is the second week of our spooky October readings, and uh, I just want to say that 
I'm going to be reading two stories tonight, and they are pretty spooky, so um, I still read them as boring as I possibly can, that hopefully you can still doze off to them, um, but just so you know, they are a little bit spookier than all the other ones that we've read, just a heads up. Uh, I'm going to be reading a story called The Room in the Tower by E.F. Benson, which was written in 1912. And then, I'm, because that one's relatively short, I'm going to be following it up with The Woman in the Black Coat from a chapter in the history of a Tyrone family by Joseph Sheridan Lafano from 1838. It's an old Irish story. They're still wonderfully written and rhythmic and great to fall asleep to. But yeah, another spooky October episode to slumber to. And before we do get on with the story, just because I uh, made an announcement about this on the sleepy Instagram, because I did feel compelled to, um, and I know that many of you like to keep tabs on me and know where I am in the world and what's going on in my life. And I just wanted to share that as of this past October 2nd, I am very proudly one year sober from drugs and alcohol. And I'm kind of uh, reluctant to share that there, not because I'm ashamed because I am very much not. I'm so happy to be where I am and getting sober is the coolest thing I ever did. But I know you're trying to go to bed and I want you to fall asleep very soon. But uh, I know the only reason I ended up uh, getting sober is because I heard other people's stories like mine who were going through some of the same things that I was and consider themselves um, very, quote, functional, quote, <laughs> alcoholics, which I wasn't. Um, but it's just, I feel like a lot of people are dealing and struggling with addiction behind closed doors. And there are also a lot of people who are triumphing over addiction behind closed doors. And I just want anyone listening to know um, I know a lot of people listen to this show because there are things that keep you up at night whether it's insomnia or uh, you know issues from your past or you have a really crazy work life or um, whatever I just know that there are a lot of people who aren't just suffering from a general restlessness but you have some real stuff that goes on in your head and if you are like me then all those things that you were avoiding thinking about during the day as soon as I hit the pillow that's when all those thoughts would come and hit me and that was something that in the past year I've really learned to live with and control and I sleep a lot better now but it took a lot of work to get there so I'm only saying this here because if it helps one person know that what you're going through is not unique, you're not alone, um, and to know that it doesn't have to be that way and change is possible, then me saying this here would be worth it. Before I got sober, um, I wasn't a person who believed in change. I didn't think people could change because I didn't believe that I could. But then uh, I hit a point where I had to stop. And when I did, I met people who were seemingly on paper worse off than I was. And um, they changed and they got better. And it became insane for me to believe that I couldn't change. 
because the proof was right in my face. Flesh and blood. Real people with real stories. And I kind of was hearing these stories and wished that I had heard more of them so I didn't have to get to a point of desperation and wind up in, uh, you know, these support groups where I was hearing these stories. But it happened the way it happened for me. I have no regrets of that, but I just want um, you, sleepy listener, to know if you are struggling, um, I'm with you. You're not alone, and there's plenty of help out there for you. And the bravest thing you can do is is ask for help. So thank you for indulging me in this, sleepy listeners. I hope either that helped you in some way, or you're already asleep from my rambling. That's a win-win. But now, as officially enough of me yapping, tonight, The Room in the Tower by E. F. Benson, followed by The Woman in the Black Coat by Joseph Sheridan Lafano. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just high like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. It was when I was about 16 that I first had the dream. And this is what happened in it. I stood in front of a big red house and waited. Soon a man opened the door and said, go through the garden and have some tea. I went through the living room and the kitchen and into the garden at the back of the house. There were six people there sitting on chairs and drinking tea, but I didn't know them. Then one of the men spoke, and I saw that he was from my old school. I remembered his name, Jack Stone, but I didn't know him well. He told me that the others were his mother, father, and sisters. I didn't like it in the garden with those people. Nobody spoke to me and it was very hot. I wanted to go home. In the corner of the garden was an old tower, a very tall, thin building. Suddenly, Mrs. Stone turned to me and said, Jack is going to show you your room now. It is in the tower. I do not know why, but her words frightened me. I knew the tower was dangerous and I didn't want to go there. Jack stood up and I knew I had to follow him. Inside the tower, we walked up and up in the dark and then we arrived outside my room. Jack opened the door and I always woke up suddenly before I went into the room. I had this dream many times. It was always the same. The garden, the family, the tower. And I always felt very hot and frightened when Mrs. Stone said, Jack is going to show you your room now. But I always followed him up and up in the dark. And when he opened the door, I always woke up. I never saw what was in the room. Then the people in the dream started to change. Mrs. Stone had black hair in the beginning, but after 15 years her hair was white and she was very old and weak. Jack got older too and ill. One of his sisters went away when they told me she was married. I didn't like these people and I didn't want to have the same dream all the time but it always came back to me in the night. 
Then suddenly the dream stopped for about six months. I was very happy. Then I tried to forget the garden, the people, and the tower. But one night, it all started again. This time, Mrs. Stone wasn't there, and all the family wore black. Mrs. Stone is dead, I thought. Perhaps Jack isn't going to take me to the tower this time. But suddenly, Mrs. Stone spoke. I couldn't see her, but she said, as before, Jack is going to show you to your room now. As usual, I followed him, but this time the tower was darker than before. From a window in the tower, I saw a stone in the center of the garden, under a tree, with these words on it. Remember the bad and dangerous Julia Stone. Again, I woke up cold and afraid. In the first week of August that year, I went with a friend, John Clinton, to stay in a house in Sussex. Please come, he said. My family are coming too, and they say it's a very nice place where we can walk and swim. We can drive down together on Sunday afternoon. Sunday came and we had a nice afternoon driving down to Sussex in the sun. We arrived in the village where the house was at about five o'clock. We did not know where the house was, so we asked somebody. He told us it was over the river and behind some trees outside the village. John was the driver, and because it was so hot, I went to sleep as he drove. I woke up when the car stopped, and I found that I was in front of the same house as the one in my dreams, the house of the Stone family. We walked through the living room and the kitchen and into the garden at the back. I knew without looking that there was a tower in the corner of the garden. It was very, very hot in the late afternoon sun. I waited to feel ill and afraid as I always did in my dream. But the people in the garden were not unfriendly. The Clinton family talked and laughed, and I liked them very much. Then Mrs. Clinton said to me, Jack is going to show you your room now. It is in the tower. And my friend John stood up. His family always called him Jack, and I followed him up to the room. I was afraid when he opened the door, because in my dream, I always woke up before I saw the room. But this time I went in. Everything was nice inside, and my bags were ready for me on the bed. Perhaps it isn't bad here, I thought. And perhaps the bad dreams are going to stop now that I am here, in the room, in the tower. But then, I saw two pictures near the bed, and that same cold fear came back. One picture was of Mrs. Stone, old and with white hair, as she often was in my dream. The other was of Jack Stone. His face was ill and angry, as he was in my last dream before this visit. I looked at the picture of Mrs. Stone for a long time. She had dangerous eyes, and they followed me around the room. John Clinton came back to tell me dinner was ready. I don't like this picture, John, I said. I'm going to have bad dreams tonight if it stays in here. Can we move it outside? Yes, said John. Let's move it now. But when we tried to carry it out, it was very, very heavy 
we could not carry it. We put it down on the floor. John suddenly said, Oh look, there's blood on my hand, a small cut from this picture. Then I saw that there was blood on my hand too. But after we washed our hands, we had no cuts, so we tried again to move the picture. I didn't want to look at Mrs. Stone's face as we moved her picture through the door, but her eyes followed me again. There was a smile on her face now, but her eyes were more dangerous than before. Her mouth was blood red, and the picture was heavier and heavier. We left the picture outside the door of my room. We went down to dinner, and when we finished, John and I went out into the garden to smoke. It was a very hot night, hotter than the day, and I didn't much want to go to bed. Suddenly a dog ran across the garden and sat under the tree I could see from my bedroom window. The dog sat on the place where the stone was in my dream, and it did not move. It was frightened. It sat and looked at the tower for a minute, and then ran away. Next came a cat, and it did the same thing. Do you see those animals? I asked John. Why are they so afraid? I don't know, he said. At about midnight, we said goodnight and went to bed. It was very hot, but I was tired and I thought I was ready to sleep. Without the picture of Mrs. Stone in my room, I was happier and I didn't think about her dangerous smile or the cuts on her hands. I closed my eyes and slept. I woke up suddenly. I don't know what time it was. The room was very dark and for a minute I didn't know where I was. Then with sudden fear I remembered. A light came on, and I saw a woman, a woman I knew, the woman in the picture. I saw those dangerous eyes, the blood-red mouth, the smile. Mrs. Stone put a cold hand on my neck and spoke. So, you are here in the tower, after so many years and so many dreams. Yes, I waited and waited for you, and then I stopped waiting, but at last you came. I am so happy that you came. Tonight, I am going to have a good dinner. I am thirsty. I am hungry. I am waiting. Yes, I am so happy that you came, after all this time. Again, she put her cold hand on my neck, and then her face came slowly down, and her teeth started to cut into me. I was too weak to move, but suddenly I knew I had to get away quickly. I hit her hard in the face, and at the same time I jumped out of bed and ran to the door. John Clinton was outside. I heard a noise, he said. What is it? What's wrong? And then, look, there's blood on your neck. John, I said, that woman in the picture we took from the room this afternoon, she came back. She's in there now. Her name is Julia Stone. John laughed. You are having a bad dream, he said, and walked into the room to look. 
But he came out very fast, as white as me, and said, You're right. She's, she's there. And there's blood on the bed and on the floor. I don't know how I ran downstairs. My legs were weak, and it was difficult to stand. But soon, we were out in the garden again. We left the house the next day. About a year later, I went back to the village to ask the people there if they knew anything about the owner and about Julia Stone. One very old woman knew the story. This is what she told me. Eight or nine years ago, a woman died in that room in the tower where you stayed. Three times the village people tried to bury her at the church. But each time, somebody saw the dead woman's ghost at night, with blood on her mouth and a dangerous smile. Then, we knew that she killed people and drank their blood. We didn't want to try to bury her anymore, so we took her back to the house with the tower and buried her under the tree you can see from the window of that room. There she stays, waiting quietly, sometimes for many years. But people say she visits young men in their dreams, and she brings them here. I think you know what happens to them when they arrive. The Woman in the Black Coat I was born into a rich and important family in Tyrone, Ireland. I was the younger of two daughters, and we were the only children. My sister was six years older than me, so we didn't play much together when I was young, and I was only twelve years old when she got married. I remember the day of her wedding well. Many people came, all of them laughing, singing, and happy. But I felt sad when my sister left with her new husband, Mr. Carew. She was always very nice to me, nicer than my mother, and so I cried when she went away to her new home in Dublin. My mother and father didn't love me. They wanted sons and were not very interested in me. About a year after my sister got married, a letter arrived from Mr. Carew. He said that my sister was ill and that she wanted to come home to Tyrone and stay with us to be with her family. I was sad that she was ill, but also very happy about her visit. They're leaving Dublin on Sunday, my father told me, and they're arriving here on Tuesday morning. Tuesday came, and it was a very long day. Hour after hour came and went, and I listened all the time for my sister and her husband. Now the sky was dark, and soon it was midnight, but I couldn't get sleep. I listened and waited. Suddenly, at about one o'clock in the morning, I heard a noise far away. I ran out of my bedroom and down to the living room. They're here, they're here. I called to my father, and we quickly opened the front door to see better. We waited there for a few minutes, and we heard the noise again, somebody crying far away in the night, but we saw nothing. 
There were no lights and no people there. We went outside, waiting to say hello and to help my sister with her bags. But nobody was there. Nobody came. I looked at my father, and he looked at me. We didn't understand. I know I heard a noise, he said. Yes, I answered. I heard it too, father. But where are they? We went back into the house without another word. We were suddenly afraid. The next day, a man arrived and told us that my sister was dead. On Sunday, she felt very ill. On Monday, she was worse. And on Tuesday, at about one o'clock in the morning, she died. At the same time that we were outside the house, in the night, waiting for her. I never forgot that night. For the next two years, I was very sad. You could say that I stopped living. I didn't want to do anything or speak to anyone. Mr. Carew soon married another young woman in Dublin, and I felt angry that he forgot my sister so quickly. I was now the only child of a rich, important family. So before I was 14 years old, men started to visit our home. They wanted to meet me and perhaps to marry me. But I didn't like any of these men, and I thought I was too young to be married. When I was 16, my mother took me to Dublin. Dublin is a big city, she said. We're going to meet richer and more interesting men than the ones back home in Tyrone. We can easily find you a good husband in Dublin. In Dublin, I began to be happier. I met a lot of friendly people, and I went dancing every evening. A lot of young men came to speak to me and asked me to dance. I liked talking to them. I started to live and laugh again, and I didn't think about my dead sister all the time. But my mother was not so happy. She wanted me to find a husband quickly. One night before I went to bed, she came into my room and said, Do you know Lord Glenfallen? Oh yes, I answered. He's that ugly old man from Cahargilla. He's not ugly, and he's not old, Fanny. My mother said quickly, he's from a very rich and important family too, and he wants to marry you. He loves you. Loves me. Wants to marry me. But he's making a mistake, mother, I said. I don't love him. I can't marry somebody I don't love. Think about it, Fanny. My mother answered quietly. He's a good man, and he wants to marry you. You're a very lucky young woman. My mother left the room, and I sat quietly for a long time. Lord Glenfallen was a nice, friendly man, I thought. I didn't love him, no. But I did like him. He always talked about interesting things. I never felt happy at home with my mother and father, but I always felt better when I talked to him. The next morning, when I saw my mother, I said only one word. Yes. Lord Glenfallen and I got married the next spring 
and two days after our wedding, we said goodbye to my family and left Tyrone. Three days later, we arrived in Cahargilla, and I saw my husband's beautiful house for the first time. It was near a river, and there were many trees and flowers in the garden. Birds sang in the trees, and the sky was blue. I stood next to him and looked at it all, and I felt very, very happy. Come, my love, said my husband. You must come in and meet Martha. She cooks and cleans and knows everything about the house. So we went to the house, and I met Martha, a friendly old woman with smiling blue eyes. She showed me around the house. Suddenly I felt excited to be there. It was a very happy place. Women sang in the kitchen. Men built fires in the living rooms, and there were dogs and cats everywhere. Come with me now, madam, said Martha, and look at your bedroom. Then we can take up your bags, and you can wash before dinner. I followed her, and soon we arrived at a big brown door. This is your room she said, when she opened the door. I stood and looked, suddenly cold with fear. In front of me stood something big and black. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was an old coat, but without anybody inside it. I jumped back quickly, very afraid and moved away from the door. Is something wrong, madam? Martha asked me. Nothing. Perhaps it's nothing, I answered quickly. But I thought I saw something in there. I thought I saw a big black coat there when you opened the door. Martha's face went white with fear. What's wrong? I asked her. Now you look frightened. Something bad is going to happen, she said. When someone sees a black coat in this house, we know that something bad is going to happen soon to the Glenfallen family. I saw the black coat when I was a child. And the next morning, old Lord Glenfallen died. Something bad is going to happen now, madam. I know it. We went down to have dinner. I felt unhappy and afraid. But I didn't say anything to my husband about the black coat. I wanted to forget about it and be happy again. The next day, Lord Glenfallon and I went for a walk together to look around the house and gardens because I wanted to know my new home better. I like this house and all the people here, I said, and I'm happy to be here with you. It's much better than Tyrone. My husband was quiet for a long time. He walked with his head down, thinking. Then suddenly, he turned to me, took my hand and said, Fanny, listen to me. Listen carefully. There's something I must ask you. Please, only go into the rooms in the front of the house. Never go into the rooms in the back of the building or into the little garden by the back door. Never. Do you understand me, Fanny? 
His face was white and unhappy. I understood his words, but I didn't understand why he was suddenly a different man. Here at Cahirgiller, he never smiled or laughed anymore. Perhaps the back of the house was dangerous, I thought. But he didn't want to talk about it anymore. We went back to the house without speaking. And again I tried to forget his words and to be as happy as I was before. It was about a month later that I met the other woman for the first time. One day, I wanted to go for a walk in the gardens. It was a beautiful day, and I ran up to my room after lunch to get my hat and coat. But when I opened the door of my room, there was a woman sitting near the fire. She was about 40 years old, and she wore a black coat. Her face was white, and when I looked closely, I saw that her eyes were white too. She was blind. Madam, I said, this is my room. There is a mistake. Your room, she answered. A mistake? No, I don't think so. I don't think there's a mistake. Where's Lord Glenfallen? Down in the living room, I said. But who are you? And why are you in my room? Tell Lord Glenfallen that I want him, was all she said. I must tell you that I am Lady Glenfallen, and I want you to leave my room. Now, I said. Lady Glenfallen, you are not, you are not, she cried and hit my face very hard. I cried out for help and soon Lord Glenfallen arrived. I ran out of the room as he ran in and I waited outside to listen at the door. I did not hear every word, but I knew that Lord Glenfallen was very angry, and the blind woman was very unhappy. When he came out, I asked him, Who is that woman, and why is she in my bedroom? But my husband didn't answer me. Again, his face was white with fear. His only words were, Forget her. But I did not forget her. And every day, it was more and more difficult to talk to my husband. He was always quiet now, always sad and afraid. He sat for hours looking into the fire with his unhappy eyes. But I didn't know why, and he didn't want to tell me. One morning, after breakfast, Lord Glenfallen suddenly said, I have the answer. We must go away to another country, to France or Spain perhaps. What do you think, Fanny? He didn't wait for my answer, but left the room very quickly. I sat and thought for a long time. Why must we leave Cairgela? I didn't understand. And I didn't want to go too far away from my mother and father in Tyrone. They were old now, and my father was sometimes ill. They didn't love me very much, but I wanted to be near them. 
I thought about it all day, and I didn't know what to say to my husband when he arrived back in the evening and came in to dinner. I said nothing. After dinner, I was very tired, and I went up to my bedroom early. I wanted to have a good night's sleep and think about it all again the next day. I closed my eyes and went to sleep, but I did not sleep well because I dreamed of the black coat. Suddenly, I woke up. Everything was dark and quiet, but somebody was at the end of my bed. There was a hand with a light, and behind the light was the blind woman. She had a knife in her other hand. I tried to get out of bed and run to the door, but she stopped me. If you want to live, don't move, she said. Tell me one thing. Did Lord Glenfallen marry you? Yes, he did, I answered. He married me in front of a hundred people. Well, that's sad, she said. Because I don't think he told you that he had a wife. Me. I am his wife, not you, young woman. You must leave this house tomorrow, because if you stay here, you see this knife, I am going to end you with it. Then she left the room without a sound. I didn't sleep again that night. When morning came, I told my husband everything. Who is the blind woman? I asked him. She told me last night that she is your wife, that I am not your wife. Did you go into the rooms at the back of the house? Asked my husband angrily. I told you that you must never go there. But I didn't, I answered. I was in my bed all night. She came to me. Please tell me what's happening. My husband's face was white again, and he didn't speak for a long time. Then he said, No, she is not my wife. You are. Don't listen to her. She doesn't know what she is saying and he left the room. I ran to find Martha. I didn't like this house anymore. My husband was a difficult man, and I didn't understand him. Who was the blind woman? I wanted to know everything. Don't cry, madam, said Martha when I found her. Sit down and listen to me. What I am going to tell you is not very nice. The blind woman, the woman in the black coat, is dead. You saw her ghost. She was married to your husband, and she was Lady Glenfallen. Nobody knows how she died. Her bedroom was at the back of the house. Somebody saw your husband with a knife in his hand on the night she died. But did he kill her? Nobody knows. When we found her, the knife was on the floor next to her and her eyes. Somebody had cut her eyes after she died. Perhaps he didn't want her to see his other women. His next wife. You. I didn't wait to speak to my husband again. 
I left that day. I was too afraid to stay another minute in Cahirgela. I knew that the blind woman was going to come back again and kill me. I said goodbye to Martha, took my bags, and told my driver to take me back to Tyrone. I am happy living here with my mother and father now. The house is quiet. I sleep well each night, and they are friendlier to me than they were before. Sometimes my dead sister visits me at night, but I am never afraid. She tells me that the blind woman is trying to find me at Caragilla and that she wants to kill me. She is jealous of me, but she can never find me there. She must wait for the next Lady Glenfallen. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.